There used to be radio stations, and I'm sure they're still there. I'm just not around in America called Oldies But Goodies. That's an older song that is as good today as it's always been. Yeah, I can't hit those high notes, but neither can you. So we're in that together. It's a great hymn, and it's a good reminder for us that we long to be a blessing to others. Well, if you'd open up your Bibles this morning, we're going to continue our series on living in the red. We're coming toward the end of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're coming to a topic that usually when a pastor gets up before the church and says this word, everybody sort of groans because we're talking about generosity. And people think, oh, here's the pastor asking for money again. And I promise you, I'm not asking for a raise today. Uh, Yeah, I'd love for us to have our own space, but I'm pretty sure we can't afford that. Uh, but I do believe that we can give sacrificially and there's good theological basis for that that makes us able to do so joyfully and out of the blessedness of our hearts of what God has done for us. So when we consider this idea of generosity today, I ask that you would ask the Lord to give you an open heart. That as we consider it in a different light, that we would enjoy seeing who God is and how he shows himself through our generosity to a world around us and how when that breaks down, the world gets a skewed picture of our Savior and our King. So open your Bibles and I'm going to read to you. Why don't you rise with me? You've sat for a while and I love the concept of out of respect for God's word, we rise when it's read. And I'm going to read you Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 4. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to have to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. (coughs) Excuse me, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Lord, as we look at these words this morning, would you teach us? I ask that my words would be few and that together we would be a church that's generous out of the overflow of our hearts, that which you've given us. In your holy name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, I listened to a sermon uh, this week on this topic of generosity. I I think it's good for uh, me to listen to other people preach as well. I get tired of myself sometimes. And in it, he reminded me of a a character that's quite well known today. And so I thought I'd give you some facts about this character and, and see if you can begin to comprehend a little bit. But just in case you're wondering who it is, and I know I'm an Apple guy, so this is just heresy, that I'm gonna talk about Bill Gates for a moment. Bill Gates, according to Forbes, and I don't know how they figure it out, but according to Forbes magazine, he is now again the wealthiest man in the entire world as of the end of 2013. So let's put that into perspective for a second. And all of these figures, I I converted them into Hong Kong dollars, so you get the idea locally. So no matter where you're from, we're thinking locally today. He is worth over $563 billion. Think about that for a second. $563 billion. That makes him alone the 37th wealthiest country in the world. (laughs) That makes one man the wealthiest, or the 37th wealthiest nation 
in all the world. Or to put another way, there are 40 countries that could combine their wealth together and still not be as wealthy as him. He has inordinate amounts of wealth. Let's, let's explain this a little bit more. Okay. He makes an average of about $2,000 per second. You just took that breath. That was two grand gone by. Maybe that's a bit rough. Uh, so let's figure it out. That's $116,000 roughly per minute. Okay? Or $155 million a day. A day. Now, where these figures are, there's different ones out there, but roughly $155 million a day. That means if his time is money and he drops a $500 bill on the ground, it is not worth his effort to pick it up because he's already made it again. And more. So let's say it takes him three seconds to pick up that $500. Well, that's just cost him $1,500. He could give everyone in the world 75 Hong Kong dollars today and he would still have $17 billion for himself. That is wealth that I cannot begin to understand. I would gladly retire in a tent because as it looks based on the performance of my MPF last year, that's all I'm going to be able to afford anyway. And that's just fine. Yet, in the course of his life, especially since retirement... Bill Gates and his wife Melinda have given away over $200 billion. Just given it away. Roughly a third of what they're worth they have just given away specifically to eradicate disease in the third world countries uh, through vaccinations, through research, uh, through education. They've just given all that money away. That alone still makes them that bit makes them the hundredth wealthiest nation in the world or some large number like that. Their generosity is enormous and astounding. He's easily one of the most generous men to ever live. Yet if we hold him up and compare him to our God, the Father, we realize that, well, Bill Gates is kind of selfish. We realize that he's keeping an awful lot for himself. And compared to God, he's pretty poor. The wealthiest man we can imagine compared to God, our Father and our King, is a pauper. He's got nothing. Why? Because whether your name is Bill Gates, Mike Rose, or anywhere in between, it's all God's anyway. The maker of heaven and earth is the one that's given us life, the one that's numbered the hairs on our head and the stars in the sky and everything in between. And he commands us as followers of his to use it for his glory. He says, look after this which I've given you. It's called stewardship, taking care of that which we've been given. Yeah, Bill Gates is just freakishly wealthy and I can't relate to him on that level. This from a man that didn't even graduate college. There's hope. But compared to God, our Father, the creator of everything, it's nothing. And the creator of everything is the most generous being in all of history. And how do I know that? Well, Bill Gates gives out of his wealth. 
that which is easy for him to give. Even if he has a billion left, he's doing just fine. One guy figured it out, and I'm doing a calculation in my head. Let's say it's roughly 7.5% uh, or 7.5 conversion rate from uh, U.S. dollars to Hong Kong. So he could give away... I just lost my train of thought. But in other words, if he's giving away or spending... Six million, so 45 million U.S. dollars a day, he still won't come to the end of his reserves without making any more money by the time he's 90. So he could spend 45 million Hong Kong dollars a day or more and not exhaust his wealth by the time he's 90. And he's in his early 60s right now. But if he did all that and he did all the good in the world, it would be still paled in comparison to the greatness of what God has done. Why can I say that? Because God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, created us, loved us enough to give us this thing called free choice, still knowing somehow that we would choose pride and sin, and then created a way for us to get back to Him. It's the good news of the gospel that He didn't just leave us to dig our own hole and die in it. And the only way he could do that was to give him his very self to save us. Out of holiness, righteousness, and perfection, he sent himself, God becoming man, the incarnated one. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live on this earth. I have a son. You see him sit right up next to me every Sunday morning. And yeah, he's an amazing kid. And I don't think I could give him for any of you. I don't love you that much. And that's just being truth, truthful. I love you, yes. But Isaiah is my pride and joy. I can't possibly imagine giving him up for the life of you people. (laughs) I'm sorry to be that blunt, but he's my kid. God, out of the richness of his life, gave Jesus Christ so that all could receive the inheritance of the wealth of eternal life for all time. That is astounding to me. That is humbling to me. And that makes me wonder and think to myself, what am I doing with that which God has given me? You see, Paul teaches us that we who have believed in Jesus Christ are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're brought into the family co-heirs. An heir receives an inheritance. Jesus tells us, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that place is going to be amazing. But while you're here on earth, feed my sheep. Look after the poor, the needy, the least of these. And follow the example I've set before you. Our God is a generous God. So when I talk about money, I do so joyfully because it's all His. And I can't possibly imagine competing with the giving nature of our God and King. And neither can you. And so when I do it, when I think about giving, I think about it like, wow. It's an interesting challenge to try to outgive God. What if I took that perspective in my life if I tried to give in the pattern that he lived? 
But why would we give? Why would we consider this idea of generosity such a foreign concept? Yes, social justice is very trendy right now, and that's a good thing. Yes, we are caring more about the world than maybe we did in the 80s when it was all about us or this or that or the other. But still, most of why people are generous today is to get something out of it themselves. There are those true generous people, but there's not a lot of them. If there were, poor people wouldn't exist. People wouldn't be going hungry. Wars wouldn't be fought over little things. You get the idea. But when we give out of a generous heart and we understand it from a theological perspective, we understand that we're not giving of our time, our resources, our finances, our skills for ourselves. We're giving out of worship to God, our King. And if we call him Lord, remember, if he is Lord, then he overrules us. And we're going to give back to him, which is already his. And he lords it over us in such a way that is generous and compassionate and loving. Then we would do the same and we would seek to please him, right? Maybe put it another way. Maybe you remember, and this is where it gets tricky and we have to understand this as we dive into this text because theology can break down for some people here. But maybe you were blessed when you were a kid with a great father. And you remember being that little kid that would draw your dad a picture and take it to him. And every time dad would respond with, wow, that's an amazing picture. I'm so proud of you. You did a great job. I'll hang this on my office cubicle wall, whatever. Or... Your dad showed up at every recital you ever had or every whatever it was, everything that was important to you, your dad was there and you loved hearing him say, I'm proud of you. Those words were just life giving to you. And so in that you sought then to please him more. And some of you then started to like things that your dad liked. I confess, I tried liking fishing for a lot of years because my dad liked fishing. I'm sorry, Keith, I know you just spent a lot of time on a boat. It is the most painfully boring thing in the world. I do not understand it. I don't get it. Maybe now I do because it's quiet. But as a hyperactive little kid, being on a boat for eight hours with nothing, and we didn't have iPods. It was just me, a lake, and my dad. But he liked it, and I wanted to be with him, and I wanted to please him. And so I did whatever I could to bring that smile to his face. The inverse of that is some of you didn't grow up in a relationship with your earthly father that was very good or existent. Your dad reminded you of how much of a failure you were. Your dad wasn't around. Your dad was off with another woman somewhere else. Your dad had left you. And so anytime you hear of a concept like God the Father or you look at getting close with people in general, it's hard because there's a fundamental lack of trust built into you because your dad wasn't present. And so when I have the audacity to get up here and talk to us about pleasing God the Father, why on earth would I want to please a father when my own earthly one was this way? And that is a fair question. And I don't want to diminish your feelings toward 
the father that God gave you here on earth or that walked out on you. I want to introduce you to the gospel of Jesus Christ that is for all people. And I want to say that God the Father loves you so much that he knows what you've gone through. He knows that your earthly father was terrible. And God the Father still loves you, still has a place in his heart for you, and still invites you to come follow me. My grace is enough to teach you how to trust other people, to teach you how to love again, and to remind you that he's given everything so that you might know him, and he would do it all for you out of love. That's what a father does. Maybe your earthly father failed you on that point, but your heavenly father never will. And that's why when we talk about generosity, we talk out of our worship to God. Whether you had that great father or that terrible one, God the Father is perfect. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will never let us down. And he is rich beyond our wildest dreams and longs for us to enter into his inheritance. (laughs) My dad don't have much and I'm not getting much of it anyway. And that's okay because my heavenly father has invited me into eternal life with him. That's what matters. So when Jesus, at the end of his last thought, says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And we talked about this last week. This is just a reminder, and a reminder that this is not a heavy yoke to be borne upon you. This is a reminder of what we're invited to in life. Jesus is reminding us here, this is future tense, there's the big, that we are growing in maturity. We are growing in Christ's likeness. And by the blood of the Lamb, God sees us as righteous. This theme of righteousness goes throughout the Sermon on the Mount. It's amazing. Jesus talks about righteousness without ever defining it. And for those of you that are linear thinkers, that's really frustrating. Because he tells you to be righteous, but he doesn't come out and say, and righteousness defined is this. No, he gives you examples of righteous living. He gives you examples of what a righteous person would do. In other words, a righteous person would love their enemy. A righteous person would forgive. A righteous person would care for the needy. A righteous person would love, would welcome others in, would look after this world they've been placed upon and would do it all for the glory of God righteousness is always about Jesus Christ, empowered by him to please the Father, just as Jesus said himself, Father, I've done this for you. So with all that, we get to Jesus' teaching on generosity. We get to Jesus' introduction on what it means to have eternal treasure and what that looks like. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Okay, I took a lot of time to explain God the Father and why he is worthy of our greatest efforts, of all of our service, of all of our generosity, right? God the Father is worthy of our worship and our praise. The greatest man here on earth, the most generous man here on earth, Bill Gates, is worthy of a good job, Bill. But he is not worthy of our worship. God the Father is. But what happens is here on earth, we get a little confused. We seem to think that this earth is our kingdom. And in doing so, we try to build up a big kingdom here on earth. (laughs) 
And I'm not saying it's bad to have a retirement fund. I'm not saying it's bad to save up and be good stewards of the money God has granted you. Absolutely not. But this world is not the end all save all. And if our hoarding and saving a little more while others are suffering and we do so knowingly, we've kind of missed the boat. Or if when we give, we do so so that everyone else sees it and says, good job, then that's the only reward we're going to get. And you know what? Love languages, I'm still trying to figure out which ones mine actually are, but I know I love encouraging words. It's encouraging to me when somebody says something nice. I I like that. But I can't live for people to say, good job, Mike. Because if I do, then my reward has been given here. That little three seconds I felt good about time, just, well, that was 1,500 bucks for Bill Gates. And for me, that was all the reward I'm going to get. When we do our acts of generosity, we're not to do it just for the praise of men. But it's confusing here because not so long before, Jesus tells us that when we do good works, others will see those in us and rejoice. So Jesus, that's kind of confusing. You tell us to do good works so others see them in us and rejoice and give glory to God the Father. But then you tell us, don't let others see what we're doing. So which is it? Yes, it is both. How can I say that? Simply, when Jesus tells us that our good works should be seen by men so that the glory goes to God the Father, we're not out there saying, look at me, I'm doing great things. We're saying, look at what God is doing through us. We're saying, let us be a light on the top of a hill. Let us be light to all men. And we can't hide that light. And we want you to know about it. And that light includes caring for the poor, giving to the needy, taking care of the widows, the oppressed, and the least of these. And we love doing it. And we would give all we had to make sure they're taken care of. And if you see that, give praise to God, not to AIC, because we're just here for a little while. God is eternal. There we go. And when we do that, the amazing thing happens. Our reward is eternal. Because guess what? When you're dead, buried, or cremated, your inheritance is done on earth. All that money you've saved up, it might go to your kids. Well done, that's great. But you don't take it with you. That which we've done for the glory of God will be seen by God and he'll be pleased with it. And I look forward and I pray that he will look at my life and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's my longing. I have failed so many times and and I know that on my own, I am a failure. But God gave us Jesus Christ and through him, my acts can be seen as righteous out of seeking for the glory of God. And he will reward. God loves rewarding his people. He says that time and time again in the Old Testament. Obey me and I will bless you. Obey me and you will have long life. These are common sense things, people. And over and over, God reminds his people, obey me, be generous, take care of those. Deuteronomy 15 talks about the idea of canceling debt. You know someone that's in debt over their ears? Let it go after seven years. You know what? Give them a fresh chance. Why? Because God had already hatched a plan that was in motion that he was going to do that for all of mankind at great expense to himself. 
at more expense than you or I could ever face. That's why grace is so amazing. We can give some money away. We can give some time away. We can give some resources away. But God gave his son. And his son said, forgive others as you've forgiven me. And that just makes me want to just give off everything and go live on a hill by myself and then tell others that I just want to please God. So if I can help you and it's helpful, remember it's God that does it, not me. That's the framework of generosity. The glory of God shown out in man. But see, sometimes we think generosity only has to do with funds, with money. And I say that because today's worship team, the praise band that was up here today, is a great example of generosity from all scope of things. Now, I know it's World Cup season, so this question might not hold as much ground, but most of us are not awake at four in the morning on a regular basis, are we? And if we are, what are the chances we're showing up at church the next morning? Very slim. Half this worship team was performing last night till deep into the night because that's the skill set God has given them. And you know what they do? If they get to sleep, they roll out and they show up and they come not just to sit in a pew and look and fall asleep during my sermon. Maybe they do. I'm not looking. You're fine. <laughs> But they give of that which God has given that to them and let us worship together. I love the piano. And to be able to listen to Edmund play like that reminds me of why I married Melissa. She's a pianist and that's awesome. But it reminds me of the glory that can be seen in music. And it just blesses my heart. Uh, okay, well, Mike, you know, they're professional musicians. They should show up and use their gifts for that. Great. Well, some others are on the stage this morning as domestic helpers. And let me tell you, that's just about the hardest job I've ever seen. Long hours, little money, and sometimes some pretty rough employers. And yet they get up and they lead us this morning out of the joy of their heart that overflows from the glory of God. And then there's others that get off an airplane that never know their schedule when they can serve but they're committed and so they do all they can when they're up in the air all the time to roll off. They don't even know what time zone they're in this week. But they come up and they serve out of the joy of their heart so that we together might corporately worship our God and our King. That is generous living. It's not just about funds. It's about being who God has created us to be and using that for his glory. If you are a brilliant financial mind, don't hoard your wealth. Help others learn to use their finances wisely. But then don't tell them just keep it. Tell them to use it for the glory of God. You with me? So that when Jesus gets to this part, it makes perfect sense. It doesn't seem prohibitive like, how could I ever do that? It seems like, why wouldn't I want to do that? It's a big difference. So when, uh-oh, doesn't say if there, does it? If connotes option, right? We have the choice. I don't see if there, and I went back to the Greek and it's not there. It says when, and that is a theme that goes from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end of the Bible. When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites in the synagogues do and on the streets to be honored by men. And Jesus repeats what he's already said in verse 1 here. 
I tell you the truth. They've received their reward in full. They're doing it so that man thinks they're great. They've missed understanding who God the Father is and that all we do in this world is to bring glory to Him and He empowers us to love those around us. They've forgotten that first part and said, love me because I'm great and generous. And therefore they've missed it. They've missed the genius of generosity. That in our generosity, God is glorified and people can come to know Him and do the same and be multiplied. I tell you the truth. They've already received the reward, but it doesn't stop there. But when you give to the needy, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing or flip it if you're left-handed. It's great. doesn't matter. So that your giving may be in secret. Now, does that mean, Mike, I can't give checks anymore to the church because the church would know and therefore I can't take my tax deduction? No. If you need to write a check to give to the church or if you want to set up auto pay so you can give regularly to the church and it's all set up for you, wonderful, do it. It's a blessing. We will use every dollar that God brings into this church and we will try to give away as much of it as we possibly can for the furtherance of his kingdom. That's what we, the church leadership, are called to do. So it doesn't mean that you have to give in cash and that's the only way. Don't get confused there. A benefit that God allows us to have here on earth is a tax deduction. I would rather give the money that God has blessed us with to God's work than I would to the Hong Kong government. So if the Hong Kong government says that's okay, now I'm not cheating my taxes, but that which they allow me to do, great, do it. But we're not going to go on around saying, hey, did you get your tax return? Look at how much I gave today. Or, hey guys, did you see that I, was, I gave this much more than you? Some people started doing that. They made it into a competition. And Jesus says, again, you've missed the point. This is for the glory of God to help the needy, to help the spiritually needy, to engage. For us as a church, that means to engage the world we live in right here in Hong Kong in ministry, letting them know Jesus loves them, engaging the world in missions for the glory of God and helping the poor, the widows, and the least of these wherever we can. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, coming back to that image of God the Father, those of you on earth that had a tough father, you think that God is up there ready to smite you. If you remember the movie, Meet the Fockers, or no, Meet the Parents is the one he prays in. And he says, bless me, O mighty smiter. And honestly, as funny as that is, many of us have this image of God that he's looking down and he's ready to zap us more in the image of the Roman God or the Greek God Thor or Zeus, Zeus, yeah. That he's just waiting for us. My mythology's off, sorry. He's waiting for us to fail so that he can punish us, zap us and hurt us. And that is the exact imperative that we then turn on each other. And it's why Christians today have a hard time getting along and forgiving each other. Because if we believe God is just waiting to punish us, now he lets us deal with our sin and there are consequences for our sin, but he is a gracious God that longs to welcome us back, that longs to forgive us, that longs to bless us as we bless others. That's what we're called to do. Generosity is a joy and it's a blessing. And so while we live, we should give. (laughs) I'm a poet. So how do we do that? 
Well, let me just review and we'll finish up pretty quickly. First, we act with an eternal perspective. If we think we are, we are, our sole purpose in life is to collect as much as we can right now because we eat, drink, and then we die, we have missed the point of everything I've said. But when we understand that all we do is for the glory of God the Father, for eternal benefits, we realize that if I have to sacrifice a little today, it's worth it for eternity. We're understanding the heart of generosity. Our reward is to be in heaven. Maybe it will be a tough life. In fact, Jesus promises us right before he dies, you, on this, in this world, you will have struggles. You will have troubles of many kinds. Take heart, I have overcome the world. And then he also says that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And it's going to be awesome. The last part I added, that's my words. But it is better than we can imagine. So we act, we invest, we treat people with an eternal perspective because God did that for us. He didn't look at us and say, wow, they're not worth the investment because they're only going to live a little while anyway. He gave his one and only eternal son to come to earth, to suffer, to die, and to be risen again victoriously in perfection, victorious over sin once for all so that we could be adopted and heirs into his family. We act with an eternal perspective. Then what do we do? We give freely. You've heard it said, you Sunday school teachers probably say it a lot, God loves a... It took us a second. God loves a cheerful giver. I do not want you, at the end of the service today, because the benevolence baskets are out, to know that everybody's around and to give out of obligation. Now, if God's laid it on your heart and it's a sacrifice and you're wrestling with that, give it. That's between you and God. But don't just give because you have to. Give because you know God has compelled you and you also know that God will provide and he will look after you. You cannot outgive God. I'll never forget, it was Mother's Day of 2002 and Melissa and I were flat broke. Bills had exceeded what was coming in and that was just reality. And this dear old lady, I can't remember her name so I'm gonna call her Lois because she in my head looks like a Lois. She said, she said, we just, Mike, I love you. And I've got plenty. And she handed me a check with a specific instruction. She said, go to your favorite restaurant and have a meal on us. And I tell you, I bounced around in ministry for a month straight in a tough setting because of that steak that she bought me at Jay Alexander's, which was my favorite restaurant. And she just felt that out of her wealth, she could meet a need of a young pastor kid that didn't know what he was doing. And so she did. And I can tell you millions of stories like that about millions of people. God blessing using the generosity of others. People give freely and it is a joy. And you, when you give cheerfully, you ever notice what happens to you? Feels good, doesn't it? Melissa used to tell me, she said, Mike, I'd much rather give gifts than get them. And... That's right. Why can't we give? It's far more fun to give than it is receive, honestly. The reception joy lasts for like a minute and then it's like, ooh, what else can I get? The gift of giving lasts so much longer, (laughs) eternally. Next, give quietly. Again, this isn't a competition in our church. We're in all sorts of economic statuses here. 
This isn't about who can give the most. To give you some mathematical perspective, the average giver in America, I couldn't find statistics here in Hong Kong, but if if we take 10% as the baseline of what a church member should give based on the teaching in Malachi, and we applied that to consistent traditional church giving in America, and I can tell you roughly that we're not even there from what Allison and I figured out last year, but the average church attender probably gives 2.8% of what's given to them. And God invites us to give a minimum of 10% out of joyful giving. Now that 10% is in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, it's not meant to be hard and fast. God invites us to give way more. (laughs) Notice I didn't say you can give less. If you can only give the widow's might, do it. But remember that widow's might was basically all she had. And that was what honor, was honored to God as righteousness and it was credited to her. We often get the perspective wrong, but we do so. We give quietly, we give freely, and we give joyfully as we've talked about because we know that it's worth building his kingdom and it's worth building his work here on earth for the joy of God the Father, for the glory of Him, not for our own glory. What do I mean by that? Well, I want to tell you a story. Yes, you can see that up there about giving joyfully. But Matt Chandler says it this. He says, grace is made visible when people are generous. If we're not supposed to tell people how awesome and wonderful we are and how generous we are, what's the point of being generous? Well, as we give out of the joyful reception and joyful gratitude to God who has given us everything, people are going to notice because we're not blowing our own horn. We're glorifying God the Father. And when they see that, they'll see grace in us, in our generosity. They'll see that, wow, even though those people over there didn't deserve the generosity that was provided by that church, they gave anyway. What do I mean by that? Some of you remember uh, a few years ago, we had a speaker at Keswick whose name was Charles Price. Anybody remember him from a few years ago? He's pastor of the People's Church in Toronto, Canada. And I, I liked him so much then that I've been listening on and off to his podcast ever since. But before him, there was another man that was the pastor of that church. And I want to tell you the story about him before People's Church was the big famous church it is now. And this is what James Montgomery Boyce tells about a man he'd gotten to know. Have you ever been led of the Lord to give sacrificially, perhaps even of that which you don't yet have? Let me tell you how Dr. Oswald J. Smith, pastor of the well-known People's Church in Toronto, Canada, first learned to give sacrificially. He was sitting on the platform of the People's Church for the first time since commencing his ministry there. First Sunday there. Yeah, that's, that's the background. Big church, famous church, or growing. And it was the time of their annual missionary convention. If you know anything about the People's Church, they are sold out on missions. They give a ton. They help. They partner with JKPS in Kolkata, who we also work with, uh, as, as far as many others. He was unaware of their normal procedure, and he was somewhat surprised to see the ushers going up and down the aisles handing out envelopes. Surprise turned to amazement and amazement to horror, however, when one of the ushers had the audacity to walk up the aisle and hand him an envelope. He read on that envelope, in dependence upon God, I will endeavor 
to give toward the missionary work of the church blank during the coming year. We passed those out. Uh, We called them our faith promise card, but we passed those out last November. He'd never seen such a thing before. As he had a wife and a child to keep and was at the time earning only $25 a week, uh, so that's roughly 150 Hong Kong dollars a week, give or take my math. Sorry, King. He had never given more than $5 to missions at any one time. And that he'd only done once. He started to pray, Lord, I can't do anything. You know I have nothing. I haven't a cent in the bank. I haven't anything in my pocket. Everything is sky high in price. Can we relate to that? Hong Kong is not getting cheaper, folks. It was true. World War I was on for him and things were getting more and more expensive. But the Lord seemed to say, I know all that. I know you're only getting $25 a week. I know you have nothing in your pocket and nothing in the bank. <laughs> well then, he said, that settles it. Oh no, it doesn't, the Lord answered. I'm not asking you for what you have. I'm asking you for faith. How much can you trust me for? Oh, Lord, said Dr. Smith, that's different. How much can I trust you for? God answered, $50. $50? Why, that's two weeks' salary. How can I ever get $50? But again, the Lord spoke. And with a trembling hand, Oswald Smith signed his name and put the amount of $50 on the envelope. Well, he's written since that. He still doesn't know how he paid that $50. He had to pray each month for $4, and each month God sent it. And at the end of the year, not only had he paid the whole amount, he himself had received such a blessing that he raised the amount to $100 that missionary conference. He went on to give much more later and to lead People's Church into an ever-expanding and more effective program of home and world missions. That's sacrificial giving, and it's born solely out of the gospel of Christ. If you're concerned about your giving, and you should be if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, then begin by yielding yourself to Christ, by offering yourself to him, saying, it's all yours, Lord. Seek out spiritual causes and ask the Lord to lead you in his own pattern of giving. We stepped out as membership at AIC last year and said, we want to expand the work of God in Hong Kong and beyond. And we did so with as minimal an increase as humanly possible. It didn't take faith for us to get that number. In fact, honestly, it was the absence of faith that brought us to that number. It was reality. And yet, three months in, we're well behind our budget. And the thing is, I'm not asking again. This isn't Mike asking for a raise. This is me saying, let our church give more away. And we can't do that if it doesn't come in. We can't send help all over the world to those in need if we're not giving to missions, if we're not giving to the benevolent fund, and if we're not giving to the general fund that is equipped to make disciples of all nations. And so when I think about generosity, I think about what a joy it is to give back to God what's already His. And I think about times when I've had to sacrifice, but it's been such a joy to see how God surprised me and acted in such grace just because I gave a little. And so when I talk about generosity, I do so excitedly saying, let God surprise us. 
It is my heart's cry that we be a church, that if our budget is $4 million, which give or take it, it is somewhere around there, I can't remember exactly the number, that we would give another $2 million away to world missions. It is my heart's cry that more money that comes in goes to help the needy right here in Hong Kong because that's what God's word teaches us to do. Not so that we can say, hey, AIC, we're awesome, but so that people can look at AIC and say, wow, God, you're amazing. And I want to glorify you the way AIC glorifies you. That's obedience. So I'm going to do something different, and I don't do this often. There are, wet, there are offering envelopes in your um, bulletin. If you've already dropped one in the offering basket, no problem. You can get another on the way out. But I want you to pause, and I want you to ask God, how generous am I being with my time? How generous am I being with my resources? How generous am I being with my money? And how might God stretch my faith today? I'm not saying to give out of what you've already got. I'm saying to say, here, God, it's all yours anyway. I'll close with a video that lets you consider that for just a minute. Worship team, come up. And as they do, uh, I'm going to change the song on them. Could we sing Make Me a Blessing again? I think that's appropriate to finish on today. But I want to invite you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Keep nothing back. Say, God, I'm not going to give out of what I have. I'm going to give out of who you are. My Father, my King, my Lord, and my Savior. Lord, use that which you have given us for your glory so that this world may be changed and that we may be a blessing to those who desperately need you. Amen. Please rise with us. Let's sing Make Me a Blessing. <laughs>